O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O God, that today, as we remember your lonely hours on the cross, we ask, O God, that you would speak to us, that we may hear, that you would open our hearts, that we may truly feel your presence, and that you would open our minds, that we would know your truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. It is so wonderful to be gathered here with you today. There are so many here who have told me this is the first time that you've been back in this building for a year, some of you, and it is so good to have you back here with us. We had the same thing happen last night where people had joined us for the first time in 12 months, and it's just exciting to have everybody back here. We look forward to gathering again this Easter Sunday, and once again, we as a church will feel the presence of one another's spirits. We will feel the presence of our Lord's spirit, and we will feel the fellowship of the church. And so it is good to have everybody here today, even though we're here for just a brief time. And it is always strange to me that it is such a brief time that we share together on Good Friday. It's brief because the gospel accounts of the crucifixion are brief. As a matter of fact, the, the details of the crucifixion were so vivid and unfortunately so well known to the contemporaries of the apostles who wrote the scriptures, who wrote the New Testament, that they were just briefly identified that he was crucified and he was crucified. There he was crucified. He was crucified without elaborate detail because it was so overwhelming, so stunning. And here we are, yes, gathering for a brief period of time, but recognizing that though we will be here but for a few minutes, he was on that cross for hours. And so as we come today, we want to remember not just the suffering of our Lord Jesus, but the sacrifice he made on the cross. For weeks, Jesus had been telling them God's plan in vivid detail. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and they'll deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and they will kill him. But after three days, he will rise. And now, it was happening. I'm going to turn to Matthew's gospel for just a second. Matthew writes that then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. 
Twice it mentions that they stripped him, once of his own garments and gave him new garments, and then they stripped him of those new garments and gave him back his old garments. That may seem a strange detail to think about, but three times in this story of his humiliation, they mention that he was stripped. They don't say it specifically in the third time, but if we look down at verse 15 of Matthew, we will see that when they crucified him, they divided his gardens among them by casting lots. They stripped him again. Three times Jesus was stripped, stripped naked, not just before the crowd, but before the whole battalion of soldiers. And we have to remember too that not just culturally, but even for us, the idea of standing naked, standing exposed, being there ultimately vulnerable before a crowd of people and hostile people at that was humiliating, terrifying, soul-breaking and heart-crushing. It's so vivid in our minds that even in the story of the fall in Genesis, when the Lord wanted to express how deep the shame and the pain in Adam and Eve wa- of Adam and Eve was, they said that they were naked and they were ashamed. So exposed, so vulnerable to be stripped. Jesus was stripped of everything he had. First he was stripped of his community. Then he was stripped of his identity. Then he was stripped of his dignity. Everything that he had was stripped away from him that day. Until finally, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, his words conveyed what only he could understand at that moment, that everything, everything had been taken from him, stripped away, even as he described it using the words of the psalmist, his connection with God. On the, G- on the cross, Jesus hung exposed, stripped. But we have to remember that on that day, Jesus was not the only one who was stripped and exposed. On Good Friday, on the cross, everything was stripped away but the brutality of humanity, the cruelty, the depravity, the indifference and the injustice of humanity were exposed for all to see. And the cross was a spectacle. The Romans had lots of different ways to execute a prisoner. But crucifixion occupied a special place. Crucifixion was used when they wanted to make an example of someone for all the world to see. It wasn't just gruesome. It was a very public way to die. And people were meant to see it. And it was a means of terror and propaganda. And it was meant to terrify people into submission. It was a statement that this could happen to you if you do not bow the knee. But where the Romans and the religious leaders meant it to be a statement of their own authority, of their own power, of their own piety, God used it as a statement to expose the depth of human evil 
of human sin, of human depravity. I've had so many people over the course of the the years of my ministry ask me this question. Why was it necessary that Jesus had to suffer so much? Why did they have to mock him and spit on him and flog him before they killed him? Was that necessary? Did that matter? I think it did because Jesus had identified those very things as part of the plan of God. So why did Jesus have to suffer so? I think that Jesus had to suffer so greatly because humanity's sin had to be utterly exposed, leaving nothing to hide in the shadows. It all had to be brought out into the sunlight on the cross. Because if the cross is proof of how much God loves us, it's also proof of how far we've fallen from God. The cross was grotesque. And the cross was grotesque because our sin is grotesque. Sin is violent, selfish, and dehumanizing. Oh sure, we tend to rationalize it away by saying, well, you know what, nobody's perfect. Sure, I've got my faults, but I'm I'm not as bad as some people. But as John says, We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. To say that sin isn't serious is to say that people who get hurt and that people we hurt don't matter. If a murderer, if a rapist or a thief is not brought to justice, then we are effectively saying to the victim or to his or her family, you don't matter. Your daughter, your son, your loved one, Your wife, your husband doesn't matter. Your friend doesn't matter. Your pain doesn't matter. Your broken life doesn't matter. Your stolen dreams don't matter. And to say that sinning against God is no big deal is to say that God doesn't matter. When we spit on God's name or hoard his gifts or ignore his authority or abuse his patience or take his love for granted or mistreat his other children or question his existence or manipulate his religion when it suits us and treat us as our own personal possession, our own means of control and live our lives with a sense of entitlement instead of gratitude and then we say that sin is no big deal then we mock his holiness. And God cannot ignore the crimes committed against his children, and neither can he ignore the crimes committed against his own name. And if we pay attention to this story, we don't just see the cross. We see the whole picture of God's judgment. To really understand what's happening on on Good Friday, we have to pull the camera back and take in the whole scene. We have to pull it back far enough to see the soldiers gambling and the crowds jeering and the religious people mocking and the spectators in their ogling and the political leaders in their oppressing. 
The ruin of Jesus shows us the result of our sin, the callousness of the soldiers, the injustice of the government and Pilate and Herod, the envy and the jealousy of the religious leaders, the cruelty, the blame, and the denial of the mob, the cowardice of the disciples, the betrayal of Judas. Jesus hanging on the cross gives us a clear vision of the worst in ourselves because it shows us what we have done to each other and what we have done to God through our sin. And so we have to understand, and we can't let ourselves off the hook. We have to know that the cross was God's judgment against the state of fallen humanity. The cross exposes the cruelty and the callousness and the indifference, indifference and apathy of humanity. It exposes man's inhumanity to man. And it exposes the words of Caiaphas as our own. Because the words of Caiaphas sum up our own attitude. It's better that one man should die than the whole nation. In other words, better him than me, better you than me, better them than us. And so the cross exposes the depth of humanity's brokenness and our sin and our need for redemption. But the cross also exposes one more thing. As Jesus was stripped and stripped and stripped again, it exposed the extent of God's love for us. Yes, the cross shows us the horror and the corruption of human sin. But the cross also shows us the love of God. And it shows us how far God is willing to go to prove that love for us. The cross shows us how far man has fallen and how far God is willing to go for us. We cannot forget Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That, that prayer wasn't just for the soldiers. It wasn't just for the mocking crowd around him. It was for all who were involved in his death, all who were involved in his crucifixion, all who have witnessed it. In other words, it was for all of us. As a matter of fact, that was the point of the whole spectacle. So that he would suffer for our sins so that God would pardon us. He not only lived the life that we could never live, he endured the death that we could never endure so that finally we could live the life eternally with God and now in the present, both in, on earth and in heaven, to live the life that he created us to live. And so when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was talking about us as much as he was about them. You know, last night at the Maundy Thursday service, 
I, rec I recounted an old expression that something is really only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Every time we talk about or hear about or think about Jesus Christ on the cross, we should remember that this, this is what you are worth to God. This is how much he loves you. This is how far he is willing to go to prove that he really does care about you. He really does care about your life. For the proof of God's amazing love is this. That while we were yet sinners, not after we got our act together, not after we got things all straightened out, not after we got everything organized, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the proof of God's amazing love. When we began Lent weeks ago, I said that Lent is usually a time for giving things up. And I heard someone say, because if you remember that Lent began during Snowvid, Snowmageddon, whatever you want to call it, people lost power, people lost water, plans had to be canceled, all of that sort of thing. And I was talking about giving things up for Lent, and somebody said, do we really have to give up something else? So, so much has already been taken away from us this year, not only with COVID, but now with Snowvid. So much has been stripped away from us already this year. Do we really have to give up something else, something, anything else? And they were right. You know, it seems like over the last year, we have had so much stripped away. Our activity and our work has been stripped down to what only others call essential activity. Freedom of movement and travel have been stripped away. Freedom of speech has been stripped away by cancel culture. Freedom to gather has been stripped away. Weddings and funerals and festivals and gatherings stripped away. Civility in politics has been stripped away. Public trust has been stripped away away. Any sense of shame for the way we treat or talk to or write about each other has been stripped away. All of these things have been stripped away. And as all of these things have been stripped away, it's exposed some ugly truths, some ugly things in us. Impatience, cruelty, and meanness, selfishness, self-righteousness and judgmentalism. But most of all, a heartbreaking lack of faith. So I go back to that question. We've already had so much stripped away. Do we really have to give up something else? And it made me think about this. It's one thing to give things up. But what about when everything is stripped away from it? I mean, when we give things up, we're still in control, right? But when things are stripped away, that's when we have to accept that we're not in control. If we are in control, and if we think that we have to be in control, and if we think that we are in control, then we are in trouble. Because we have to believe that God is sovereign, and He is in control. Today, we need to remember 
that Jesus not only suffered physical pain on the cross, he was stripped naked, stripped of his identity, stripped of his community, stripped of his integrity, uh, not his integrity, stripped of his uh, dignity, and stripped of his control. He was stripped naked. And it begs the question of us, as it did of him, do we really believe the words of Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble? Do we really believe, even stripped of everything, that God is good? Do we still have faith when everything else is stripped away? Our routines, our health, our jobs, warmth. Do we really believe that he is in control even when we lose our water or electricity? Do we really trust that God is our fortress? When everything is stripped away, do we still trust God enough to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, on the cross, everything was stripped away from your Son. Everything that matters to us, everything that we think is essential was stripped away from Him. And yet He still said, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Oh God, give us the faith of the cross. Give us just a sample, a mustard seeds, mustard seeds worth of that faith so that when we are stripped of our comforts, of our conveniences, of our routines, we will know that you are still God. So that even if we are pushed to the point of poverty or persecution, we'll, we will know that you are God. So that we, like our Savior, can utter those eight most important words ever spoken by a son of man, that not my will be done, but thy will be done. Oh Lord, give us the faith and the confidence to glorify you even when all else is stripped away. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.